Welcome to Sustainable 92. 92. We are your friendly little environment podcast, filed under the comedy section in iTunes and other things. Not always cheery, but trying our best to be cheery in the face of impending ecological catastrophe, ain't we all? (laughs) Yep. And what we've got coming up this week on that subject? We've got, uh, well, not so much impending ecological catastrophe as current ecological catastrophe um everything's dead we're going to be talking about how all the insects are dead uh, we're going to be talking about how some hornets are dead which might be a good thing uh, unless you're dave uh, and we're going to be talking about how a load of penguins are dead uh, which might not be exactly what it seems actually so do keep listening for that one yeah good episode coming up here listener if i say so ourselves if that's not a strange sentence um that uh, we you know we this is a little bit of an episode where we talk a bit about feelings and about like why some of this stuff is really blinking scary and how it makes us feel and so if you're a fan of dave and all talking about feelings stick with us for a wee while (laughs) oh just the usual disclaimer uh, we do work for environmental charities but these are very much our own views and definitely not the views of cheery organizations who say everything's going to be all right so if you have any problems with anything that we say uh well you kind of should because we're all buggered but take it up with us and not with anyone for whom we work yes very good all right let's get on with it and um yeah as as dave says unashamedly heart on sleeve this one so i hope you enjoy it things that make you go jesus shitting oh god So, things that make you go, Jesus, shitting Christ. Uh, this is... Aren't we using this a lot, this feature, at the moment? Yes. Blimey. There's a lot, isn't there? Well, <laughs> yes. This is the feature slash podcast where we look at stuff which is utterly terrifying and uh, trends for which are abysmal. Uh, and there's some uh, news just in. Uh, all the insects are going... And, <laughs> and that's bad. Uh, hyperbole. You're you're overselling it. Only seventy six percent of all the insects are dead. Ah, seventy six percent of all the insects are dead. Why is yes. it this a thing? Why aren't we talking about? We are talking about it. We are why, talking about it. You why are aren't, talking other, about why it. Why isn't Theresa May talking about it? Why isn't she breaking off from all these Brexit talks as she's spending so much of her time getting right uh, and going? Hang on a minute, Mister Juncker, whatever your bloody name is, shut up. Uh, I've got news for you, son. All the insects are dead. Uh, so can we talk about that instead of dicking about with our stupid Brexit, please? EU, we love you. EU, we love you. EU, we love you. 
I totally agree. It's so. I mean, the one place there where it is being talked about is the Guardian. No, Obviously they they no. love a good <laughs> they love a good chat about uh, extinction and uh, the end of life on Earth. Um, and I guess they know that they've got readers like us who lap it up. Mm. Uh, but they they are talking about it. And what specifically they're talking about is a study that has been done for a long time, for twenty five years in Germany, where they do things sensibly and slowly and methodically. Uh, which has looked at the number of of all flying insects in a bunch of places um, and literally just weighed them, basically. Set up traps in protected places, in parks, where uh, there's quite good wildlife and shit, uh, and, uh, and they've weighed everything they've caught. And basically, the, the total weight of insects, what they have caught since 1989, has been going down and down and it is now 76% less than what it was. The only the only slight caveat is that these it's just flying insects they're talking about. Ah. So because flying insects move around a lot, it is it is possible that they would be not hugely more protected by being in a reserve if the reserve is next to some farmland um whereas you know if it was non-flying insects that were more living in that place uh then yeah being in a reserve would be more relevant, but I'm I'm clutching at straws here, Dave. Well, so <laughs> I'm clutching yeah, at very tiny, wispy little straws made of starch. So you said farmland there. So are you blaming farming? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> Go I mean, on. I'm not a scientist. But no. I'm blaming farming. Well, yeah, look, the, the, there's some clever professor people quoted in uh, in this, including uh, Professor Dave Goulson of Sussex University, who has done a lot on bees and butterflies. He's written some really beautiful books as well, actually. Um, and uh, he says insects make up about two thirds of all life on Earth, but there has been some sort of horrific decline. We appear to be making vast tracts of land inhospitable to most forms of life and are currently on course, and this bit isn't good, for ecological Armageddon. If we lose the insects, then everything is going to collapse. So that's that's bad. That's a bad quote. But the other thing that Dave Wilson has said is we don't know what's killing them. He said, what is causing their debate? Their death is open to debate. It could be simply that there is no food for them, or it could be more specifically exposure to chemical pesticides or a combination of the two. Right, so it's one or the other. So it's either, it's either that all the chemicals we're putting on our farmland uh, is knackering the insects, or that we are somehow killing the things that the insects live because of the way we do farming. But basically, either yeah. way... Either yes. way, it is farming, is what he's saying, right? Go yes. back and listen, by the way, to episode 62, where we talked a lot about a thing called the State of Nature Report, came out from the RSPB and others last year, it was? Yeah, which basically looked for other things that aren't flying insects, looked at things like your hedgehog and your swirly mongoose and your, uh, I don't think it looks at the swirly mongoose, stuff that lives in this country, uh which is also getting knackered by farming and climate change, but like mostly farming, pretty much. Rabbits, dead rabbits, play the dead rabbit music. Oh. Is it a kind of dream? It seems fairly obvious, um, as Mike McCarthy has, has subsequently put it in The Guardian, that if you have three generations since the Second World War of very intensive agriculture, 
uh, i.e. you know spraying the shit out of all of your crops to make sure that um, nothing eats them that that that's going to have an effect and um, yeah it means no, uh, nothing's going to eat them nothing, and if the problem eat- comes when things need to eat them because otherwise yeah. they die <laughs> yes um, and yes. if you sort of get rid of all of the things that they like like wildflowers i think that the, the stat is that you've had like a 97 percent decline in in wild flower meadows in the uk um since since the beginning of last century or something like that again because we just turned over most of the of the land to farming uh then yeah that's also a problem so if you've got nowhere to live and nothing to eat that is going to make life harder if you're an insect right or, or indeed not an or, insect or not an insect. Um, yes. yes. Um, so, and he, he writes, doesn't he, Mike McCarthy? He talks about uh, this thing called moth snowstorm, uh, which is a thing. You remember, like, we used to, when you was a little, cast your mind back to when you were a little boy, Hull, mm. to when you were a wee boy. Isn't ah. it nice? You're sitting on your mummy's lap. Um, ah, that, that was nice. That was, that that was, was a nice. nice bit of life where you didn't That's worry nice. about things. The butler's bringing you some fizzy pop. <laughs> Um, sun is coming in through 19 of your windows <laughs> and uh, you used to sit outside when you were wee with the light on in summer in the night and all these flipping great moths had appeared bloody great moths everywhere zonking great moths as Jasper Carrot called them who are quite don't do anything when there's all that light in the daytime but as soon as nighttime comes and there's a little bit of light they're all like oh that's the light I'm after zonking great moths well he writes about Mike McCarthy he says I don't get that no more it's anecdotal but he says I don't get that anymore if I sit out in my garden with the light on I don't get millions of moths I get like some moths yeah, um, and he talks about like when you drive. Um, what's that thing called? It's the thing where you get like the, squashed insects on your windscreen. Yeah, thing. windscreen phenomenon. It's that called. Thing. Yeah, where and lots I've, of people I've, have written about this recently. You know, you it, in the summer if you drive a lot, uh, particularly through the countryside, you would expect to have lots of things splatting on your windscreen. It's a bit yeah. grim, and then your windscreen wiper fluid wouldn't really get rid of it, and then you'd have to stop and sponge it all off. And and the. Uh, uh, the number plate as well, you know, you towards the end of summer, I do remember this, towards the end of summer, my mum and dad's car would be, you know, you'd barely be able to read the number plate because it's just covered in, in splatty things. Now, some people say, oh, hang on a minute, cars are an awful lot more aerodynamic than they used to be. So when you were driving around your larder in the 80s that was basically square, <laughs> uh, things were just ploughing into it. But now you've got clever things where, you know, the wind is effectively funnelled over. But, bulls balls to that like <laughs> that's just it is just the same uh it, it is just the case that there are there are far fewer things around um and part of the point that mike mccarthy makes is that there are so many insect species so many like millions of insect species yeah. and people generally don't care about them because they're 30, ugly or- 30 million right yeah, that's what, they, that's what they estimate, but it's an entire estimate. No one's counted the 30 million different species. Uh, but also people don't get excited about little weird ants in the way that they do about charismatic megafauna. Mm, see yeah. episode, oh, what was the one where Death to Pandas? That was early. Uh, episode 10. Yeah, that was, ah, 10. Okay. That was when, when you wanted all the pandas dead, I seem to Yeah, well. I or was might... it me? Who wanted all the pandas dead? I think I did. I think I wanted them dead because they were crap at evolution. Ointment. That's what you need when your head's been cut off. That's why I gave your sister Mary when they done her. There, there. I said, you'll soon grow a new one. So, what? 
So what? So, yeah, no, so okay, no, all right. Obviously, like, okay, now, look, okay, keep yourself, keep yourself up for a second. Why does it matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters. I was talking to a bloke um, about birds this week. I've been in Brussels, which is in Europe. You bloody lad! You're talking to a bloke about birds. birds You're in birds, Brussels. Birds. Oh, yeah, Not that sort of bird, silly. Oh. Uh, a wind chat which is a small perching bird, British bird, lives up in Scotland, the numbers of which have halved uh, roughly over the time that this German study is going on. So like between 1995 and 2008, at which point the financial crisis came along and people stopped killing wind chats, right? And the reason for that is that uh, the things so just, that the wind... <laughs> just to be totally clear, what you actually mean is the study seems to have finished in 2008 and don't, nobody knows what's happened to them since then. Yes. What you're conflating that with is other stuff that happened in 2008 and then surmising that probably they're all fine since then <laughs> okay fair enough um point is you win chat eats insects and this study goes well there ain't no insects so there ain't no in chats and that's what it means and that's why it is in dave Goulson's words right yeah a giant ecosystem catastrophe because Everything eats insects. You eat insects, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, the things that you eat. Rodney, your cat, eats insects, ultimately. Um, if actually, doesn't he just sit in the garden with his mouth open and just sort of like, you know, they obviously fewer of them. They just sort of go no, in and sits, fill up his massive He sits in the bin. Stomach. He sits in the bottom of the bin with his mouth open. So whenever you open the, the door, you just put stuff directly <laughs> into him. Um, and that's the problem, isn't it? And this is the thing. When we interviewed friend of the babble, Chris Packham, by the way, what a lovely documentary that there Chris oh yeah I haven't seen out. it must see it everyone says it's uh, amazing it is, yeah. it is well good about his life with Asperger's and yeah he, it's sort of very brave but kind of level headed view that basically you know anyway go, go and watch it. it's very very good but he's uh, when we talked to him back in episode 24 um, he was talking about ecology and basically we asked him I don't know we asked him but we're like he always gets asked what his favourite animal is you know uh, so obviously your favourite animal is in fact in your defence you've always said your favourite animal is the beetle I seem to remember. Of yeah, well, beetles in general, yeah. Beetles. Of which there are many more species than have been discovered. Yeah, um, and but Chris Packham goes, like, I don't have a favourite species. I have, like, the way it all works is the bit that I like. The fact that in an old tree trunk over there, there's all sorts of beetles and insects living, and then, like animals eat those and other animals eat those and then they go round and they drop the seeds and more tree trunks come. And the sort of, you know, the, the delicate balance of all of that is the bit that he likes. And he's right. And that's the bit that, you know, people don't care about insects. It's not just that we're not like counting insects. If we don't care about insects, we care about the bees and the butterflies. And we think that somehow getting people to care about the bees and the butterflies will get them to care about all the other insects. But they don't because people go, like they do about the wasps. Episode 72, go back and listen. But the the point is, it matters. It matters. But people don't care about it because they don't understand ecology. That's my point. Hello, I'm Chris Packham, and you're listening to Sustainababble. It's profoundly troubling, isn't it? That's the point. It's not rocket science. If you get rid of the foundation upon which all life is sustained, then all life is going to be in trouble. And that appears to be what is going on here. Which, I mean, you'll have noticed... I've not been high on bants in this episode so far. Uh, and its I think it's worth like reflecting on the fact that for all we try to get lighthearted about this stuff, like, how do you respond to this? It's 
it's overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, I, I've definitely, I've definitely over the last week or so been properly scared, like fundamentally to the core of my being, feeling it in my wrists and my chest scared. Can you be scared in your wrists, mate? Uh, no, I'm not scared of my wrists. My wrists are scared of the insects dying. <laughs> But but of all sorts right. of things, I'm I'm very scared of robots and AI. See episode forty seven. Uh, that's that's another thing which is very very scary. But but this stuff is is profoundly scary. And how do you how do you deal with it? I mean, well, how do you deal with it? Are you scared? Are you, how are your wrists? Oh God, I don't know. Um, I don't know, mate. I, I, it does scare me. All this stuff. Obviously, it scares me. It, it kind of scares me, though, in a bit. This is the honest truth, right? And if this means people hate me, I don't really. No, much I can do about plenty it. of other reasons people hate me. It's fine. <laughs> uh, it does scare me. I get scared about it. But with a kind of bit of my brain that I seem able to not let overwhelm me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, all of this stuff. Like, I, I read about That's really all good. Of, That's a really well, good thing. Is it though? Because I read yeah. about like all of these, all of these insects dying, and all like the sheer possibility of what climate change could do. I mean, we are talking about everything being dead, and this isn't yes. like crazy science fiction stuff. This is a thing that could happen, and most importantly, that we don't really understand what we're doing. We're doing it by mistake. We're not like farmers are not setting out to destroy the entire ecological basis upon which civilization rests, but they're bloody doing it, and they're doing <laughs> it because their incentives are to like you know have farms that aren't being eaten by insects in the same way that we aren't setting out to devise robot overlords that will kill us all but the incentives are uh make something better at putting things on shelves and before you know where you are um we are enslaved to the binary menace so uh <laughs> a very nice term thanks um so, and i don't want to freak you out so but I, it doesn't paralyze me i do have moments mm. of freak out but it like I suppose in a way that's good because it means I can then go to work and do all my very important things and try and fix it, right? Yeah. But um very important. Very things. important. But blogging. But we should all be mortally terrified about it. Like it, it, it's irrational surely not to be, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I was, I actually was talking to somebody this week uh, about, you know, the sort of profound anxiety I was feeling and they were like oh, um, well, you know, often we're worried about things that we sort of invented in our head and they seem very real, but, um, you know, actually they're not real and it's just the, the anxiety which is kind of overwhelming us. And I was like, no, but no, but this is real. <laughs> That's the point. That's what I was, I haven't made up insect decline. I haven't made up the terrifying and unknown developments in artificial intelligence. Like these are real things and I'm scared of them. Don't, irrationality is not the problem here. <laughs> These are not kind of new stories. Actually, I'd heard about this study a few years ago. I mean, it's only been written up in the press um, this week, but I'd, I'd heard about it because it's been going on for a long time and the trends are well known. And the stuff in, to do with climate change has been worrying for a long time. But for some reason, I have always been able to put it in that bit of my brain that um, sort of keeps me from being paralysed by it until recently. And I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's Is just because it of baby hole. It might be. It might be because baby hole. We're, who, incidentally, last night at about one o'clock in the morning, decided it was getting up time. Not just, oh, I'm a bit grumpy and hungry. I'm going to wake up. Please put me back to sleep. It was, right, let's full on play. Let's have a few hours of just being awake. So, yeah, I, th- I blame him. <laughs> I blame baby hole for my fear and paralysis. 
Yeah. Uh, t- yeah, I don't know. What can, what can you do about it? What can any of us do about it? What, you know, what, how do you keep on keeping on? What have people been telling you to do? Try not to think about it. <laughs> but, but <laughs> try, then, to do, try to do the things that you enjoy. That's what people have been saying, which is all true. But um, I think you do. You can't just not engage with it, can you? These are real problems that, uh, that need sorting. Um, it, you know, on the farming stuff and the pesticide stuff, like that one doesn't seem so intractable to me. It seems it seems relatively clear that if we stopped spraying the land with all sorts of horrible chemicals and we allowed rewilding to take place where you just effectively just leave nature to, to, to grow back, which in the places where it has happened, happens remarkably quickly. Mm. Like and, and Chris Packham did talk about this when we I think I asked him an incredibly vacuous question. Like No. <laughs> like it's can nature recover quickly or something? Um, and it, and it, and he was like, uh, yeah, uh, but it but it does. So uh, I think those things are you know fairly straightforward intellectual solutions. Obviously, the practicalities of getting an entire farming sector to stop spraying stuff, and then the practicalities of well, would that enable people to eat as much uh, are other questions. But it does seem like those are things that can be done. So maybe maybe we just need a massive direct action movement that now just goes and uh, stops all the chemical companies being able to transport their chemicals to places, uh, goes and like just nicks it all from farms um, but leaves some money for the farmers or something. I don't know. You don't want to like hammer... F- oh, it's complicated. But, but it seems like there could be a focus on it. You could have a big mass movement that was like, we're not going to let this continue. Um what do you think? I think, yeah, well, I th- yeah, I've thought about that before. Uh, it's interesting. And also, like, if you look at the farming thing, okay, the farmers, you know, are generally covering their stuff with pesticides, but, like, we waste so much food, don't we? Yeah. Like, this idea that we have to do this because there's not enough food, 30% of Bollocks. food is wasted, right? Yeah. A significant chunk of which, by the way, is wasted before it gets anywhere near us. I mean, people always sort of finger the consumers and say, oh, you bought all this stuff you don't <laughs> do need. What? <laughs> Shush. Um, but they, um, you know, it gets wasted in the supermarkets because of like, well, everything has to be all the same colour. Tesco's this week did an interesting thing. Do you see this? They started selling like green satsumas that aren't, uh, that, that are perfectly fine inside, but they're green, not orange. And no, it's the sort of thing that. they might, it's as good as the sort of thing that might have got chucked away before, but they yeah. started going, well, now we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to do that now and shut up and they're the same and don't be a dick about it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and people, and all, you know, there's obesity crises everywhere at the same time that loads of people haven't got enough to eat and the whole system is just buggered, you know? Exactly, yeah. It's, it, there is, it is a kind of commonly uh, trotted out truism that is not true that we struggle to feed the world because we can't grow enough food. Absolute bulls. We grow plenty of food, we just don't distribute it fairly. So some people have loads and loads of food and chuck half, it, half of it away. Some people have none, but there is plenty. And meat, right? And I don't want to come over all militant vegan. Oh, can I play you the new militant vegan song? Uh, I think so. I mean, it's quite graphic. <laughs> it's a strange song. Um Play it, see how it goes. If you exploit animals, my crotch is closed for business. If you are vegan, my crotch is open for business. Scrambled eggs on your plate, closed for business. Scrambled tofu on your plate, 
open for business. <laughs> we have got to get this guy on the battle. Uh, same guy as the other Millicent Vegan song. Um, but there was a, a bit of analysis came out from uh, WWF a couple of weeks ago uh, saying that there just isn't enough land at all for all of the meat that we're trying to eat. Like that, you know, just the UK's livestock industry alone, WWF reckon, has caused the extinction of 33 species just by like hacking into their land and putting uh, crops to feed cows, which then take ages and ages and ages to grow and is a massively inefficient way of using that land. So like we've got, you know, that's something we have to do. And, I, you know, militant veganism aside, you cannot, I don't think, on a planet with like 10, 12 billion people on it, keep on thinking that the way that the richest, fattest people in the world eat is the way that everyone's going to eat. Because if you do that, there won't only not be any insects, there won't be any hedgehogs, there won't be any orangutans, there won't be any bonobos, and there won't be any beetles. Now, you remember back in episode 89, um, we talked about another insect that you wanted to kill. Do you remember? (laughs) There aren't many insects I want to kill. But yes, we talked about the Asian hornet coming over here, knocking up our bees. um, And it had been found in Devon, I think, hadn't it? Yes. uh, And they'd been coming over here, waiting for our bees to come out, knocking their block off. And you said, that's bad. They should be dead. And the government agreed. You said, no, it's fine. All of our bees should be dead instead. No, I didn't. You said, don't kill anything uh, and we'll just sit back and watch our entire honeybee population get desiccated by the Asian hornets. That's what you said. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Well, sort of. But uh, anyway, the government went to war on the Asian Hornet, yes. didn't it? it? Literally, it was like, uh, you know, the National Bee Unit had been, you know, uh, uh, inspectors had been out with their apps and their undercover things and going to war. And anyway, uh, Asian Hornet's dead. They got it. Yeah. They found an Asian Hornet. They killed it. Went on. Yeah, the, uh, the government said uh, the hornets were first discovered in the Woolacombe area in September, but the National Bee Unit moved swiftly to find the nest and remove it. No further live Asian hornets have been seen since the nest was treated with pesticide and removed earlier this month. There's some great quotes on this, actually. Nicholas Spence, Deputy uh, DEFRA, Deputy Director for Plant and Bee Health, said, I'm pleased our well-established protocol to contain Asian hornets has worked so effectively in Devon. We remain vigilant, however, and will continue to, continue to monitor the situation and encourage people to look out for any Asian hornet nests. Oh, it's just like, oh my God, they, it, it carries on. They talk about the two-mile surveillance zone scouring the area oh on and on I mean wouldn't it like you know to to sort of wrap this all up a bit like wouldn't it be nice if the Department for Energy Food Rural Affairs and Insects uh, (laughs) had this same war with everything mentality when it came to farmers now I'm not saying that they need (laughs) no you wanted to seek out the nests in which farmers breed treat them with pesticide and then remove them is that what you're saying no No, this is not what I'm saying Uh, but what I am saying is like one little Asian hornet comes over here from abroad coming over here with its mandibles locking the 
bollocks off our bees and we establish like some military protocol and undercover exercises and a bee unit right whereas colossal great swathes of pesticides have been ladled out by men in dungarees and wellies uh, and we just go oh well you know that's the free market that's you know oh i can't do anything about that that's lovely lovely food that that's lovely yeah can't we just have a shred of the energy that has been put into annihilating the poor asian hornet into not annihilating all the rest of the insects by making them live in toxic soups. Oh, yes, Dave, that is a manifesto demand uh, I wholeheartedly support. Uh, yeah, I, I just interrupted the uh, listener. I interrupted the recording about ten minutes ago, and I said to Well, all right, mate, getting a bit miserable. Can we try and finish this episode on a high, please? <laughs> Can we leave the listeners with a nice, happy image uh, to go away so that they continue to listen to the babble? So, what do you want to talk about? Penguins, baby little penguins. Yes, and what's happened to them? They're they're all dead. <laughs> all, all but two. <laughs> All but two penguins, baby penguins, are dead. Yeah. Uh, well, that's not true, is it? Well, not all baby penguins everywhere, but specifically uh, the Adelie penguins, which I think were like the ones in the John Lewis advert or something. So people like them and they're all fluffy. Anyway, they live in Antarctica and, um, well, it's hard in Antarctica. And a colony of 18,000 pairs of Adelie penguins um, suffered, uh, and here's that word again, catastrophic breeding failure earlier this Mm. year, according to WWF. This is a report in The Independent. Um, But, but, obviously, this is bad. So basically they're saying only two chicks survived of the 18,000 pairs. And the reason is the mummy or daddy, don't know which one, has to bugger off, go and get food from a long way away, uh, come back, get it to the... To the baby penguins before they have, you know, starved to death or frozen to death or whatever. But the independent, we've got a bone to pick with the independent. The way yes. this story is written is just terrible on every. Oh, Dave, you've got your penguin. You've got your I've penguin. Got a penguin. Little, this is penguin. penguin. Wait, say hello nice. to the babble penguin. That's my penguin. All right. I love uh, penguins, though. Yeah, well, 18,000 of them are dead. Well, I don't like the idea of all the tiny, all the, t- quote, tiny baby penguins being dead. But yes, we have got a bone to pick with the Independent, because this is the worst journalism in the entire world, <laughs> right? So what this is, this Andrew the, the Griffin, headline... let's name and shame. Andrew Griffin, you are Andrew this Griffin. week's worst journalist in the entire world. So the headline of Andrew Griffin's piece, which I don't imagine he wrote, because I know how this stuff works, but the headline says, thousands of tiny baby... The headline! Thousands of tiny baby penguins starved to death. That's the headline. The headline has got the words tiny Tiny baby baby in it, right? And you open it up and you read it, and you read about all the tiny baby penguins, which, due to unusually extensive sea ice, uh, have had to travel further away from home. So if that's right, like, you know, that's basically not immediately something that makes you think, oh, climate change is bad. And then you read it and you just go, well, that that's what happens to penguins, as far as I can work out. Yeah, um, it, penguins, uh, penguins are vulnerable because climate change, but that's not what's happened here. In fact, if anything, it's been like unusually cold. You, you know, I was reading it and I was like, sea ice, right, okay, this must be a climate change thing. And then as you say, it was like, 
No, more, more sea ice because there was more sea ice they had to walk over to get to the sea to get their food. It took them longer and the chicks starved. And it's like, well, that that is just a natural fluctuation then, isn't it? And and although I'm very sad for the 18,000 dead penguins, I'm quite glad that this isn't another story about loads of sea ice disappearing. Yeah, it's rubbish. <laughs> So that is just about it for another episode of Babel 92 in the can. Will there be a planet left to enable us to get to 100? We shall see. Thank you very, very much, Dave, for being lovely and magnificent and uh, helping keep us all chipper. Thank you, too, to the magnificent Dickie Moore for providing the music that starts, ends and intertwingles this podcast. Uh, Thank you all. Thank you for being honest about how you feel about stuff. And I did just want to say that I appreciate that. And I did just want to say to the Babel Army that like, it's all right to talk about this stuff and have feelings. And sometimes even podcast hosts have feelings. Too. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, tell us what you thought of the show. You can do so on Twitter at the Babble Wagon. You can drop us an email to hello at sustainybabble.fish or you can find us on Facebook. Just search Babble. All right. Well, I'm off to be an Adelie penguin and prove that life is easy in Antarctica because at least then I won't have things to worry about like robots or insects because I'll be so friggin' cold. All right, mate. Look after yourself. Look after yourself, Babel Army. If you see a penguin, hug it close. Bye. Bye. He writes, doesn't he, Mike McCarthy? He talks about uh, this thing called Moth Summers. Um, mm. So, uh, and no, he's, he's no, right. No, no. Moth, moth um, showers. He calls them. But these things called moth showers. Moth showers. Sorry, hang, on, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Start this all again. It's a moth snowstorm. Sorry. <clears throat>